Oh, good. I'm glad, he, glad he's there. So, uh, all right, I'm going to set this down. Camera. Get started. together. Let's take our songbook and turn to number 60. Number 60. The way of the cross leads home. Uh, 
Miss Nell Chaney, lift her up in prayer. God, get that leg healed and get back in here with us as well. Uh, I know she's tired of sitting at the house and not being able to get around like she wants to. So pray for her and pray for Shirley because keeping Shirley home soon too. And um, also, let me think. I had it right on my mind and now it's gone. Um, oh, yeah, Mom. Yeah, Mom's mom's eye. <clears throat> she went to the doctor about her eye and she's got macular degeneration in her left eye and they're able to treat it. She's, she's, they said that you got it in your right one too, but it's not advanced, correct? Okay. So y'all please pray for her. I know she's yeah, yeah, she's yeah. It's supposed to help help dry the blood vessels that are behind your retina. Is that right? Something like that. All right, we'll pray for her that 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 gets better. Also, let's lift up Miss Charlotte. Her leg gets better, her foot, so she's able to be back here with us. Who else am I forgetting? Uh, Scott, huh? Scott needs prayer. Dan, you as well. Yeah. Well, I won't holler, I promise. I promise I won't holler tonight. Yeah, I did all my hollering Sunday morning. All right. Well, let's, we'll, we'll lift you up in prayer as well. Y'all pray for Robert, too. Robert's got a lot on his shoulders with all this. He needs prayer as well. And uh, just pray for their whole family. I know that was hard for them yesterday. And it's just not going to get easier until she gets better. Anything else? Anybody else? And remember, pray for Miss Miss, uh, Miss Bonnie's request and also Miss Phyllis. Anything else from anybody before we pray? Unspoken. Yeah, I got some too. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask God to meet with these requests. Richard, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Oh, 
Lord, I pray you'd forgive me of all my sins in my life. Lord, I pray of anything that might come between, anything that might hinder. Lord, I want it out of the way. I, Lord, I ask you, please forgive me and cleanse me. Lord, I pray for you to fill me with your spirit. I pray, Lord, for Holy Spirit fullness tonight. I pray, Lord, you'd give me unction to preach. Lord, you know the needs of your people. And, Lord, I, t- I pray you take the things that you put before us and you apply it and meet those needs, Father and set us in the direction that you're going. Lord, set our feet in time with your feet, Father, in the way that you'd have us to go. Lord, we'll give you the praise for it. We want to be in your will, and we ask you, please, to guide us now. We ask for Holy Spirit guidance, and in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. All right. Proverbs chapter 14, and we're going to begin there in verse 8. We're just going to jump right on in in the middle of it. Verse 8, it says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. I guess the question to ask here is, do you want to have a good life? You know, I don't know of anybody who would say no. I don't know of anybody who's got any sense who would say, no, I don't. I don't want to have a good life. Well, God says if you want to have a good life here, he's telling us that wisdom is the answer. You can't live a good life. You can't have a good life without wisdom. You'll make terrible choices all the way. And, you know, the Bible, the book of Proverbs, the reason we have it, the reason we're studying it, it's right there in chapter 1 and verse 2. It says to know wisdom and instruction, to know it, to have it, to perceive the words of understanding. Again, what, why, why are we in this book? Because we want to be successful in life, and we want to sift through all of the truth that God has for us and get out, glean out as much as we can that we might take it in and it nourish our, our life and give us direction and give us uh, help and, and help us to see where we're failing, the areas we're deficient in, uh, so that we can, we can uh, take hold of God's knowledge and, and uh, prosper in his will. So wisdom is the answer to having a good life. And 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 it's, the Bible says the wisdom. Who's it for? It's for the prudent. Well, who are the prudent? The prudent are those. Prudent means careful. Those who do things with care, not you know, kind of the opposite of that. Elvis Presley said, the song said, you know, about fools rushing in. The, the prudent are the are the opposite. They're the ones who take care and they they make sure that they're they're doing things correctly and and pleasing and. That's why the book of Proverbs is there, is to help that person to make prudent decisions. Uh, Proverbs 1.4 says to give subtlety to the simple. That simple may, may mean you don't you didn't have a lot of sense. A, a simple person, that's somebody who don't, don't know much. But God says that the book of Proverbs has the ability to give subtlety to the simple. Sickness, however you want to put it. You know, the Bible talks about the serpent was more cunning than any than any beast in the field. That's why. I mean, he can slip around and nobody sees it. It's very smooth in the back. So you take somebody who's absolutely the opposite of smooth in their actions, somebody the Bible calls simple, which basically means stupid. It's, it's to, to be crude. I mean, it really means stupid. You can take somebody who's stupid, they've got a lick of sense, and turn them into a smooth individual. Somebody who does everything they do, Seems to flow like clockwork. How do you get there? You get there by the Bible teaching you and giving you the words of wisdom. To give sanity to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Well, he don't know much because he's young. He ain't got no experience. But the Bible can give you experience. The Bible will teach you what you don't. You know, kids, it, it amazes me. They, have, they always say the same thing. And I know y'all heard me say this over and over. They'll look at their daddy and say, Daddy, I gotta learn it myself. I can't just listen to you tell me. I gotta learn it myself, and that means I've got to go fail to prove you wrong, and then I find out you're right. That's really what that means. Exactly, that's what that means. If I don't take your word for it, I'm going to do it on my own. But God says you don't have to do that. I can. The Bible will give you knowledge. You don't have to go out and get visceral experience yourself firsthand. The Bible will tell you, hey, if you do that, that ain't going to work. If you do this, you're going to fail. But if you do this, you'll be a success. So, again, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. In other words, to have a good life, to know what to do. And, again, 
it's, it's, it's for the past, to understand his way or to understand his life. Most people ain't got no clue what they're doing in life. They really don't. This verse is, is a powerful verse. I mean, it, it, it may seem simple. It may seem like something you can read through and overlook. But it really is it's powerful because, again, if you see the homeless people up in here tonight and ask them individually, do you know what you do? You really know what you're doing in your life? Most of them say, "I ain't got a clue." Not really. I thought I did, but I don't. You know, a lot of times we think we do, and then we run into a dead end in life, and we're like, "How did I get here?" It's because you really, you probably were coasting through life, or, or you didn't have much of a plan to start with. And and God, God, God wants us to have a plan, have an objective, have goals in life. But those goals need to line up with His goals. Those goals, those plans need to line up with His plan. And so he says, he says, as far as as far as understanding our way, as far as the path that we're to walk, Proverbs one fifteen. He says, "My son, walk not in the way with them." In other words, don't walk with the worldly crowd. Don't walk with those who, who deal with worldly wisdom. Refrain, refrain thy foot from their path. The opposite of wisdom of the prudent again is stupidity of fools. It's one or the other. Either you're following wise people and you're making wise decisions, or you're following the wrong crowd and you're making terrible decisions. The Bible calls their stupidity deceit or fraud. So the folly of fools is deceit. So, again, those who are going off and doing things their own way, God says they're stupid. Again, they ignore God's wisdom, they ignore the truth, to say, I don't know better, I'll figure this out myself. You're stupid. It's plain and simple. I know some people don't like that word, but it is what it is. It doesn't mean that the person is incapable of making decisions. It means that they could have listened to God and they refused God, and that's what makes them stupid is their choice. It's not their brain power. Uh, but again, but their, their, their refusal to take God in his word and they do it their own self, God says that's deceit. They're lying. Who's, who's lying? They're lying to themselves, aren't they? They're defrauding themselves. Foolishness seems like a better way to them. You know, to the fool. That's that's what God's saying. The folly of fools is deceit. They're fooled by their own foolishness. They fooled themselves. They think that they're what again, somebody says, Hey, listen, you need to fool. Fool yourself. Hey, what do you want to do? I don't do what I want to do. Never tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And again, it's gonna it's gonna end up they're lying to themselves by thinking that they're gonna find something better than applying and working hard. By taking the easy way, and I think we all know that very clearly. If you try to take the easy way to do anything, you're gonna you're gonna fail. You're gonna flop. Nobody 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 took an easy way and ever became anything great. <clears throat> but again, that foolishness, their their foolish way seems like a better way, or it seems like a, a freer way, I guess, with less rules, less restraints, less discipline. You know, I don't I don't I don't like this. I don't like rules, so I'm gonna do it my own way. And, and, it, and it seems like a better way to until the check comes due. And, and that's, you know, I think that would explain why fools are so popular. There's a lot of popular fools in this day and time. They really are. And that probably explains why so many people follow after those fools. <clears throat> you know, it's the same reason that plastic wand. Same reason fools follow, foolish people follow after fools. That bass, I mean, it got those that plastic one, which ain't got a bit of flavor to it. And who in the world ever seen a purple sparkling worm, you know? I mean, a fish ought to have enough sense. I've seen a, I mean, how many worms have we been looking at the whole life? That does not look like any worm I've ever seen before. It don't move like any worm I've ever seen before. It has no flavor, putting off no odor. But I'm going to buy it. It looks good, too. That's the only reason that bass bites that hook. It looks good to him. That's the only reason that fool goes after foolishness, because it looks good to him. It's not that it's proven, it's just that it looks good to him. I guarantee you, if all the other fish had gotten caught on that plastic worm and got in that live well and took home and, and gotten the hot grease and come back and say, hey, it's a fraud, don't do it. But they can't, see? They bit the hook. And there's so many fools who bit the hook and been took on to the river. And, and they because they, they wouldn't listen to nobody else. They, 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 you know, it looks good. It's a lie, and it 
take you places you don't want to go. Don't listen to fools. Don't listen to, to, to anything but the truth uh, coming straight from God or his, and his word. Uh, verse 9, it says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there's favor. Fools, do, they do make a mock at sin. They think sin is no big deal. I, I was, I was this afternoon after I got done with my message. I had my phone out. I was, I was looking, and I looked on my notifications on Facebook, and something I had posted, something I had commented on weeks ago. Uh, it was, it was said, uh, "Sex before marriage is," and I said, I typed in, said, "Sex on the first date is," and I said, "Sin, fornication." That's what it, what it is. And and I noticed the comments down after that, and people were saying, you know, this is stupid. Y'all be doing anything you want to do. Who are you to judge what somebody else is doing? All you know, one after another. And I think myself, all these people are lost. They ain't got a clue. They have no clue as to what God God says is wrong or right. They ain't got no clue. They're just doing what they want to do because they think it's okay. Because they don't think it's any big deal. They don't think there'll be any consequences. And uh, you know, and and again, fools make a market sin. They, they, who are you to think that? You know, who are you to tell me what I can do with my body? That's what they say. It's my body. It's my life. I can do anything I want to do. You know, and they think sin is funny. The Bible says they make a mock at sin. They, 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 you know, somebody somebody does something that gets hurt. People laugh at it. People laugh at other people's injury. People laugh at others' harm. People laugh to make fun of somebody. We live in a world that's so sin sick and people are so twisted. Uh, people have no shame. They have no fear of the Lord in this day we live in. Proverbs one twenty nine says, "For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord." No, they make a market sin. They think it's again, it's silly. It's, it's, it's ridiculous to uh, to stand up against evil. Proverbs eight thirteen says, "The fear of the Lord is to hate evil." Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. But see, fools, they ain't got no, they ain't got no concern. They have no concern whatsoever. Again, you just turn on the TV and you see it. I mean, every sitcom out there just making a mock at sin constantly. Every, other, every joke, just about, is making a mock at something sinful. Movies, they, they make mock at sin. Uh, again, there, there's no, there's no, nobody blushes anymore. We live in a world that doesn't care. We live in a world that seemingly uh, doesn't doesn't is not affected by sin whatsoever. And they just go ahead and they run like a sheep to the slaughter, and they have no no concern at what's righteous or what's wicked. But you know, and the world may do that. But again, God calls them fools. But the Bible says on the other half of that verse, but among the righteous, there's favor. Among the righteous, there's favor. <coughs> See, righteousness is an attribute of God. But as far as man is concerned, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So for a man to have that gift of righteousness, he's got to find, he's got to accept righteousness that's not his own. He's got to accept the righteousness that's found in Christ. Because there is no righteousness of a man. Ain't a, ain't a single one of us got anything in us. And I know y'all know that tonight, but there's people listening in that don't. There's people listening in that think they're righteous because they're a good person. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. Not a single one of us has ever done anything to please God on our own. We cannot do anything to please God on our own. And the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have to come through the blood of Christ or we can't even come to God. And the only reason that God would favor any of us or pour out his favor on any of us at all is because he favors his son. And he's the righteous one. And so, again, among the righteous, there's favor. Why? Because we have the righteousness of Christ. And you know what God does? He favors the righteous so much he gives us security. The Bible says in Proverbs 3:3, the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Amen? We're, we're rooted in his righteousness. Hallelujah. We're secure because we're rooted in Christ. Amen? We ain't going, I ain't going nowhere. Amen? I'm saved forever. The devil can't touch me. He can yank on my, he can yank on my stem all he wants to, but he's going to pull my root up because I'm rooted in Christ. Amen? My anchor holds, praise God. 
God favors the righteous with spirituality in his mind. The Bible says the thoughts of the righteous are right. So the one who's saved, God favors us by putting putting righteousness in our mind. Amen. He puts he gives us righteous thoughts. Amen. Well, again, the thoughts of the righteous are right. Why? Because he's given us his word. He's speaking to us righteous things. He's given us constantly things to, to meditate on and things to to uh, to think on. Uh, God favors the righteous with, with with spirituality in his mouth. The Bible says in, in uh, Proverbs ten eleven it says the mouth of the righteous man is a well of life, amen? So, again, there's, there's righteousness in, in a righteous man's mind. There's righteousness in his mouth. There's righteousness coming out of his mouth. The Bible says in chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, the tongue of the just is his choice silver. Why? Because they're speaking the things of God. The lips of the righteous feed many. And they're talking about with food and so much spiritual things. Those that, again, God has favored them, though, why? Because they've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Not because of any other reason, but because they've been washed in the blood of Jesus. So their mind has righteous things in it. Their mouth has righteous things in it. On their tongue and their lips, there's righteous things. In the righteous man's hopes and desires, there's, there's righteousness. The Bible says in, in, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 23 of Proverbs, the desire of the righteous is only good. Amen. Listen, you want to do right, you want other people, you want, if, you, if you've got Christ in you, if you love the Lord Jesus, you want to see other people blessed. You don't want people hurt. You don't want people to suffer. You want them to be blessed. Uh, the Bible says the hopes of the righteous shall be gladness. That's chapter 10, verse 28. Uh, in the soul of the righteous man, God has put righteousness there. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish. Chapter 10, verse 3. God, and God favors the righteous with a shining testimony. Chapter 4, verse 18 says, But the path of the just, his way, his light, his path, is as the shining light, which shineth more and more under the perfect day. In other words, the further you walk with God, the closer you get to the Lord, the more his, his uh, presence shines through your life, and the more other people ought to see God in your life. <clears throat> Look at verse 10. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. And a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. <clears throat> kind of shifting the, kind of the subject here just a little. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. And a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. What this is saying is this. I've heard this said over and over all through my life. You are born alone, you will live alone, and you will die alone because nobody knows what it's like to be you. Nobody can ever understand exactly what it's like to be you except God. That's it. Uh, Only you know your own sadness. Only you know your own joy. You can try to share it with somebody, but they can't experience it because it's yours. And theirs is theirs. Others may care for you. Others may say they know you, but honestly, they don't and they can't. They try. We try as much as we can to empathize with each other, but we'll never exactly know what the other's going through. And, and for you to be able to sympathize with others and help them, you first have got to slow down and look deeper into their lives. You can't just on the surface absorb these things people are going through. You know, we can't know those things, but you know, again, Jesus knows us perfectly. He's the one that does, but we can't know that of other people. And I think this voice, this verse is just simply pointing out the fact that, again, as much as we try to know and relate to each other, there's really we really can only go so far. And it, it takes God working in us and through us to do what needs to be done. We can't do it apart from God. We can't comfort the way we ought to comfort apart from God. We can't love the way we ought to love apart from God. Uh, you know, anguish and pain in your soul from circumstances that took place in your life, fear, guilt, hopelessness, all those things, those are your personal property. And they can't be felt or understood by a stranger or anybody outside of you personally. Neither can a stranger, anybody outside your soul, grasp and appreciate the joy that's in your heart. When you're caught up and in, in, in just overjoyed with circumstances, full of hope, full of love, full of success, all those things, 
You can experience that. You can let some of that out, but nobody can truly feel what you're going through. And this proverb is just an observation by Solomon about our human existence. But, you know, Paul agreed with him. 1 Corinthians 2.11, Paul said, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? You only want to know you, really, except for God. Each person is a unique individual with feelings, both negative and positive, and nobody knows all about those feelings except God. <clears throat> but I want, I want to tell you, there's, there's, there's three things we can learn from this, I think. The first lesson we can learn from this is, is to accept that other people can't fully grasp your grief or your happiness as much as you'd like for them to. And again, don't let that cause you to not understand why they can't, because again, they can't. Don't think that they're neglecting you because they don't grasp what you're going through. Forgive them because they can't feel what you're feeling. They can't know what you're knowing as much as you try to tell them. If they can't get it, don't get mad. Just be understanding and say, well, you know, I want to, I'm trying to communicate it even though you can't grasp it. Uh, and, the, and the opposite is also true. You can't truly know or sympathize with somebody else. You do the best you can. You pray, God, help me. But, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been driving to a funeral service praying, God, please help me because I just don't know what I'm going to do or say that's going to help these people at all. Oh, God, I, I feel so weak and inadequate and don't measure up. I can, every funeral I've ever done, I feel, that's how, I feel horrible. I feel like the dirt under somebody's shoes because I know there's no way I'm ever going to be able to convey what they're feeling. And that's what you want to do when you're standing up there because they're broken and they're crushed. And you want to touch them right where they live, but there's no way you can stand in their shoes. And, and you just trust that God will somehow bridge that gap, something you can't do. You know, and when, again, when, 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 when somebody is going through powerful emotions and it causes, it causes them to act ways and, and go through things, you know, and we don't understand why are they acting that way. We need to forgive them because we don't know what they're going through. We need to understand that. People go through things, and we can't feel what they're feeling. But, I mean, you take it. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we're lousy companies. We really are. You take Job's friends, for example. Those are his friends. But listen to what Job said to his friends. Chapter 3, verse 4, he said, But you are the forgers of lies. You're all physicians of no value. Y'all ain't helping me none. You're not hurting me at all. You're hurting me. You're not helping me. In chapter 16, verse 2, he said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Amen. They were his friends. He said, I'm going to be a good. You never hurt my feelings. They're terrible. You know, again, sometimes you try the best you can and you fail. You think about you think about Peter, James, and John out in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were the closest to Jesus. And yet they're over snoozing. Uh, he's sweating drops of blood. They were lousy comforters, weren't they? Yeah, I'd say so. But, you know, there's a better lesson than this. Like I said, even though no other person can relate to what you're going through in your spirit, there's a friend that can. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he feels every infirmity we ever feel. He's experienced every temptation that we've ever faced. Hebrews 4, 12 through 15 tells us that. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner in the thoughts of the intent, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That means the word of God cuts right down in there and gets right down to where we feel and where we think and all those things about us that nobody else can experience. But the word of God can cut right down to where the problem is. He said, neither is there any, other, any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, feeling of our infirmities. He knows what it feels like. Amen. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He didn't break down under the pressure. He knows what it's like to win. He knows what it's like to come through it victorious. He knows what it's like to get to the other side. And he can tell you, hey, I know what that feels like. I've been through it, and I'm right there with you in it, and I'm not going to leave your side. 
and you're going to make it through this. God's good like that. God won't leave you. Amen? He can help you in your darkest hour. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself also has suffered being tempted, he's able to succor and to help them uh, that are tempted. God's able to help us through anything we face. And he can keep you at peace. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Maybe nobody else can understand what you're going through, but God sure can. And the only, the only true joy that any man can experience is by God's gift, his spirit. Uh, the Bible, you know, again, we, we, we know about the, 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 the gifts of the spirit. We know about uh, in, uh, the fruits of the spirit in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. I'm not going to read that, but you all know about the fruits of the spirit. Romans fifteen thirteen. the Bible says, Now the God of hope fill you, fill me with what? With all joy and peace. Again, I don't get joy from this world. I love my wife, but I don't get joy from her. I get happiness from her. I, I love my daughter. I, I, I get happiness from her. You know, we say, oh, children bring so much joy. But joy doesn't come from children. Happiness does. Joy comes from one place alone, and that's, that's our salvation. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a fountain of joy springing up under life eternal. I mean, that's, that's the only place joy comes is from knowing that we're Christ, knowing that we belong to God. Um, <clears throat> let's see, where I lost my place. Okay. Yeah, and the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So believing on the Lord Jesus, not only will it fill you with joy, but it will fill you with peace. You know why? Because your, your salvation is settled. That's why. Uh, it says through the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's God speaking directly to your soul at a level that nobody else can detect. God, God deals with you on a level that people can't deal with. And, again, he sealed us with the spirit of adoption. We're his child. And, it, and that includes filling us with his love. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We have the love of God in us. If we don't let it out, that's our fault, and that's on us. But he certainly, he certainly spread it out in there. If we choose to dwell on our flesh and sit around miserable or with our bottom lip stuck out, blaming, blaming God for all our misery, listen, you're welcome to do that, but that ain't no way to live a Christian life. I can tell you that. God has put his love into you. And the best thing you can do is bask in that love and let that love back out to others. Romans eight fifteen and sixteen. For we have not, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. God didn't save us for us to go back and and get and, and get beat down by the devil and live under the bondage of sin. God didn't want us. To, God doesn't mean for us to cower in fear. No, He said you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That, listen, we, we're to come to God. We're to take all our problems to God. We're to take our burdens to God. We're to take those temptations the devil throws on us and take them to God. Say, God, he's back again with this. He's trying to get me. Lord God, please, take this off of me. Take whatever you got and take it to God and lay it at his feet. He said, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So how do you know you say? Well, the Spirit of God... It confirms in my heart that I'm saved, and the Word of God tells me I'm saved. That's how I know I'm saved. Ain't no doubt in my mind. Amen. Verse 11. i got to keep going. i got to hurry. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. And that immediately in my mind took me back to that passage in Matthew 7 where Jesus is telling about the two houses that were built. He said, well, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, not just hears them, but does them. In other words, applies them, believes them. He said, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, they heard it, but they didn't do it. Hey, you know why they didn't do it? Because they didn't believe it. Amen. He should be likened unto a foolish man. Again, Daddy tells his son, son, listen, I'm going to tell you, listen, if you're listening to me, they keep you out of trouble. What is Daddy? i got to find out for myself. He heard it, but he didn't believe it. And that's why he wouldn't bang his head against the wall. Right? 
right? That's the one that hears them and doesn't do them. It should be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell, for great was the fall of it. Now, for sure, a foundation is the most important facet of building anything. You ain't got a good foundation, you're in trouble, right? But I don't think that's what God's focusing on here in this proverb is the foundation necessarily. But again, it goes without saying, Christ is our foundation, and that's that's what's being taught in this parable. But he said, the house, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright. So there's two different types of dwellings here. I think the grandeur of the dwelling place, we ought to consider that for just a moment. The wicked has a house, and the, and the, the upright has a tent. One of these speaks of permanence, and the other speaks of impermanence, temporary. One's permanent, the other's temporary. You know, again, this world is a wicked man's home. That's why he thrives in it. That's why he loves it. But this believer, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. I believe that's why the Lord's speaking of a tabernacle, a tent of the upright, rather than a home of the upright. The wicked build in this world, and they build on this world because this world is their home, and this is all they look forward to. You and I, we know this is not our home. We're heading somewhere else. And therefore, we got, we're, we're in the tabernacle uh, rather than the home. But, you know, the Bible says that big old home, God can overthrow that home, but he'll keep that tent. He'll keep that tent going. He said that tent will flourish. Amen? Because he's the one in control of it. Verse 12. Verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It almost reminds me of that verse in Judges. There was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So there's a way that seems right. And the Bible warns often about deception, whether it be from false teachers or whether, uh, whether it be from the liar that lives in our own flesh, because we lie to ourselves. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. You know why that's in there? Because people are going to try to deceive you with vain words. Uh, it said, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So, again, people are going to try to deceive you with vain words. It's everywhere. There's, there's liars everywhere, especially when it comes to matters of religion, when it comes to matters of the soul. There's so many liars. But it, it, and ultimately, it all comes down to one of two things. Either man saves himself or God's the one that does the saving. There ain't no, there ain't no other choice than those two. But man will try every way he can to, to be as, as slick with his words as he can and try to fool somebody and bring somebody into a new doctrine. Uh, but then there's also the deception that one can believe, uh, believe God and not follow. Somebody say, well, you know, I believe God, but I, I'm not, I don't live for it. I mean, again, that goes back to what I what I said earlier about not listening, about 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 hearing it but not doing it. James one twenty two says, "Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your your own selves." Again, I think there's a lot of people, and I know there are. There's a lot of people who believe that because they pray to prayer, they say. But they don't realize that it's believing on Jesus. It's not how well you can quote the prayer that the guy who's told you the prayer said it. It ain't, I, I said it just like he said for me to say it, so that's what makes me saved. No, it's whether or not the weight of your sins were put upon Jesus. It's whether or not you're trusting him to, to pay that sin debt. And so many people have been deceived with vain words, empty words, an empty prayer that didn't mean anything. And therefore, they think, oh, I, I don't want to follow God. I don't have to. Those things are fruit of your salvation. Those things are fruit. Something happened back there. Amen? By, by their fruits, you shall know them. What does he mean? He means if you see, there's going to be some thicker or something in you that God is in there. 
Like I said before, uh, my buddy said, hey, something big as God moved into your life. He's going to stick out somewhere. So this idea that somebody, hey, listen, we just, we just passed down the buffet line. We got a little Jesus along with everybody else. That ain't salvation. It's it, it believing on him as your Savior, trusting him to pull you out of the, the depths of sin and, and clinging to him for life. Listen, it, it, he's got me. I ain't got him. I ain't, I'm trying to say you're clinging to him for your salvation. But I'm saying, listen, he's got me, but I'm wrapped around him just as tight as he's wrapped around me. I love him. Amen? I don't want to be apart from him. <clears throat> Again, I say that because there's a lot of people deceiving themselves. Proverbs 30, 12, the Bible says there's a generation that's pure. They're pure in their own eyes and yet are not washed from their filthiness. There's a generation out there coming up right now that don't understand the conviction of sin. They do not understand uh, I'm afraid for the, the young people that are coming up now. They can't admit they're wrong. They've done anything wrong. They don't see themselves as doing anything. I'm not saying all of them, but there's a bunch of them out of the way. And, and it's because they weren't brought up in the fear of the Lord. And so they have none. And, again, I've heard it said all my life, all it takes is for Satan to steal away one generation, and then we're done. And he's done it. It's gone. I'm, I'm telling you. It, it, it seems like to me like it's already happened. <clears throat> But why is that in the Bible? Because it's, it, it happens. There are, there are generations of people who grow up without the knowledge of the Lord, and, they, and they're pure in their own eyes. Why? Because they have no standard. There is no standard. If, if God's Word is not the standard, then how do they know they're dirty? How do they know that there's sin in their life? How do they know that there's any standard if they don't believe the absolute of the Word of God? What a dangerous situation to be. You cannot see that you're dirty. You can't see the filth on you. Verse 13, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. <clears throat> even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. There ain't nothing wrong with laughing. I like to laugh as much as anybody, I think. I enjoy laughing. I don't laugh that often. I used to laugh a lot more. I don't laugh near as much anymore as I used to laugh. But, but the person that, that, that laughs a lot, they're not always a happy person. I, I, I've worked around some people like that that laughed about everything. You say something to them, they're going to laugh. That's just their response. I mean, that don't mean they're happy, though. That's just their nervous laughter. Uh, again, it doesn't mean you're, la- you're happy because you're, la- because you're laughing. Uh, laughing can be used to mask great sorrow in the heart. Uh, a preacher uh, that I read, it said, said, this proverb is designed to declare the emptiness of all worldly joys and comforts and to teach us to use moderation in caring for them and to challenge us to look for more solid and lasting joys. So he's saying, you know, Anything you can find in this world to make you happy, it, it's not a lasting happiness. It's an emptiness to it. You find something to make you laugh, and that laughter doesn't, it doesn't. You don't keep laughing. It's a fleeting moment. You know, and, and, and God wants us to, God wants us to, to, he wants to teach us that nothing's going to satisfy our soul but himself. Uh, and he would urge us to seek him, who's the only true object of our desire, and not and to stop looking for Stop looking for things to, to fulfill us in this world. You know, the, the, the second half of that verse says the end of that mirth is heaviness. A lot of times people laugh rather than cry. Like, well, we, you know, we don't know whether to laugh or to cry. You know, people say that, something bad happens. Like, you know, I can sit here and boo-hoo, but why not just laugh about it? Well, again, sometimes people do that. And, you know, and, and laughter and mirth, as the Bible calls it here, it may do more than just mask sorrow. It may very well end up in grief. And let me just read you what I'm talking about. This is, I think this is Matthew Henry I'm quoting here. He said, the bright talker, the merry jester, the singer of the gay song, goes home when the party separates, and on his threshold he meets the veiled sorrow of his life and plunges into the chilly shadow in which his days are spent. In other words, he can go put on a brave face and 
be the court jester and make everybody else laugh. But when all the laughter's over and he goes on to his solitude, he realizes there ain't no joy there. There ain't nothing to laugh at. And a lot of times people, again, I, I think of these comedians who make fortunes of telling nasty, filthy stories and jokes. You know, when it all comes down to it, their life comes to a close, I don't think they'll laugh too much on their deathbed. I just don't think they'll find it a whole lot funny when they face their maker. You know, I think about I think about old Richard Pryor. Y'all remember Richard Pryor? Uh, what a happy fellow he was. <laughs> he ended it. He ended the last few days of his life. I mean, he he liked to burn himself alive with free basin cocaine. He was such a happy fellow. You know, and, and and again, he died. He died with with Parkinson's. He was in, he was in a miserable shape when he died. He laughed a lot during his life, but that laughter didn't it didn't sustain him. And I think that's what God's trying to say. Laughter won't sustain you, but he will. God will. You know, and, and God's not for foolishness. God's not for silliness. He's not. Uh, you know, his word encourages seriousness and stability. He, he wants to, you know, he, he, he talks about let the deacons be grave. That don't mean their face is supposed to look like a cemetery. That just means they're supposed to be serious-minded. You know, again, a pastor's supposed to be serious-minded. You know, and, I, and I'm grateful for laughter. I'm thank God for laughter. Some of the best times I've had has been when something was hilarious and oh, everybody couldn't hardly breathe because they're laughing so hard. And, and those times are good, you know, and, and especially if it's something it's something that's not anything wrong with. There's no shade of something being off color when it's just something just really straight up humorous. Uh, you know, that's good. It's good to laugh. The Bible tells us that laughter is a good medicine. Amen. You know, it, 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 it's good to laugh. And and but but not if that laughter keeps us from the fear of the Lord and the wisdom associated with it. Again, laughing at laughing at sin, there ain't no wisdom there. And that and and there's and that 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 laughter is going to lead to emptiness. And I got one more, and we're done. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. That's a that's a strange sounding verse. I'll admit, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Let me just start off with the word backslider. I, I know y'all know what it means, but I know everybody don't know what it means. So, the word backslide in a Christian context it implies movement away from Christ rather than movement toward Christ. A backslider is somebody who's going the wrong way spiritually. That person is regressing rather than progressing. Uh, a backslider had at one time determined, uh, had, had demonstrated a commitment to, to live for Christ or, uh, and maintain a certain standard of behavior for a while, but since they reverted to their old ways. And backsliding can manifest itself in several ways. You, you, you know, it starts off somebody they, they start missing church, uh, and then or and then they you can tell they just don't have the fire for the Lord that they used to have, uh, or they or they you know they just quit the ministry or, or drop a Sunday school class or just walk away from from something or maybe a husband leaves his family and walks out of his family or a wife walks away from her family. Uh, or, or, or find out they're back breaking again, or they're back on drugs again, or whatever. Backsliding it takes a whole lot of different, uh, different things, different meanings, but it's all the same thing. Um, <clears throat> but some people take the word to mean that somebody has lost their salvation. Somebody they backslid, so that means that they're not saved anymore. But, but, but that's wrong because. A saved person is secure. If you're saved, you're secure in Christ. You can't lose that salvation if you ever were saved. John 10, 28 and 29, Jesus said, these are the words of Christ. He said, and I give unto them eternal life, which eternal means forever, and they shall never, which means never, perish, which means die and go to hell. They shall never die and go to hell. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So the Lord has me, and he can't even let go, and nobody's able to pluck me out of his hand. And he said, my Father, which gave them me, amen. Listen, the Father is the one who sent the Son to die for me. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man 
is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. In verse 30, it says, I and my Father are one. So Jesus and the Father both got a hold of me, and the devil ain't strong enough to whoop the Father and the Son. And besides that, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of promise, and there ain't, ain't no way the devil's going to get me out of that three, three-way seal. Amen? If he could do that, hey, listen, this Bible, there would be no point in this Bible if the devil was able to do that. But we know it ain't, it ain't so. He can't do it. Amen? God will not kick his children out of his family. And that's not how we're going to use that word backslider because that's not what it means. So when we speak of backslide, what we mean is somebody's going cold toward Christ. A backsliding, a backslidden condition, rather, could, could indicate a person that may never have been saved to begin with. It's possible. And so in that case... They're just showing their true colors by, by going the way they're going. But it is also possible. It's possible for a child of God to backslide, but it's temporary. Amen? They won't stay that way. Amen? Why? Because, listen, if, you, if you're God's child, you're always God's child. And God is not always satisfied to let you stay going the wrong direction. He's going to draw you back to himself. If you refuse to turn around, he may just pick you up, take you on straight home to heaven. But I can tell you this. He ain't never going to turn loose of it. Now, the second half of that verse, and we're going to be done after this, it says, a backslider in ways, let me read that again, a backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. But the second half says, a good man shall be satisfied from himself. And I used to struggle with that. I was like, what does that mean? And then all of a sudden, I, I got it. He shall be satisfied from himself. In other words, he'll have he'll have the testimony of his own conscience, knowing that he's in Christ. He has the, the, the fact that he's, that he's trusting Christ and he's walking with God. He's not walking with men in, in fleshly wisdom, but he's walking in the wisdom of God, in the grace of God, and he's conducting himself among men in such a way. So, obviously, that fellow has trusted Christ. And there's no need for him to go back to the ways that he was before. There's nothing outside of him that is going to satisfy him for what the Lord does. So he's not satisfied from something else. He's satisfied from what he has in Christ. He has, Again, he has God's spirit testifying in his spirit that he's a child of God. He has the witness in himself that he's born from above. The spirit of God in his conscience, testimony of God in his Bible, shows him that he's in the heavenly family. And it's not from man's creeds or man's confessions of faith or anything like that that makes his heart satisfied. It's the fact that he gets it from heaven itself. And it's written in the Word of God, sealed on his heart. Amen? Let's stand together. Hallelujah. I'm thankful I'm saved tonight. And I, and I would say to anybody listening to me tonight, if you're not saved, I wouldn't wait. I would fall on my knees. I would call on God, and I'd believe on his son. I'd trust him tonight. I'd get it settled now. I wouldn't wait a second later because he's coming. And if you miss it, it'll be too late. You'll be like one of those standing on the rock watching Noah's Ark float away. There'll be no hope for you. There'll be no more second chances. To believe on him today and be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to be dismissed tonight. And I pray the Lord will take care of you and, and you keep everything.